The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. Welcome back to the Coaching Kernan Podcast Network. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined by my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello. This is episode 90 with the Coaching Kernan Podcast Network. It's the 11th installment of Hot Corner with Coach Sal. Sal, happy Friday to you, buddy. Hey, Dave. Uh, same to you. Thanks for uh, getting around again. No, we, we, we've had a good week this week with our podcast. Uh, you're hitting third right now. Uh, in front of you uh, to, uh, yesterday was Mike Piazza. Hall wow. of Fame pitcher. Um, and we had Jerry DePoto, president of the Seattle Mariners, made two big trades the last couple of days. Now you're hitting the three-hole, uh, which is a good spot. Uh, I was listening to the song Talking Baseball. They showed a picture of uh, Ted Klazuski, and I heard Pete Rose talking about him the other day. The Reds used to have those cutoff jerseys way back, and they became very stylish. And the reasoning he gave behind it was that Klazuski's uh, arms were so big he couldn't fit into the traditional – Jersey, so they had to cut them for for purpose, and they became a style uh, way back when. So, if you ever see an old baseball card with Ted Kozlowski in it, um, his shoulders are just ridiculous. Yeah, like that, I remember being a kid and seeing the old cards of of that picture, and or the old pictures of that card, and being mis, you know, um, not mystified, amazed that there was a big guy that played that long ago. You know, you you probably didn't see many guys like that again until the steroid ever. Yeah, no, he was he was enormous. Well, we uh, you know get a lot of traction with the podcast. You're getting a lot of loyal listeners, and we try to adhere to what the people are wanting and what we're seeing out there. And um, if it's okay with you, I, I I've been seeing a lot of, and I know our, our audience has too, of this term called functional training across all sports: basketball, baseball, football, lacrosse, grassroots, you know, prep level, college, pro. Um, I was hoping that you could help us today understand what's functional training or what is it supposed to be? And are the people using this terminology now, are they using it accurately? Uh, it's a great example of how um, it's almost like that game where you tell someone something and they go through the line of people. And then when you get to the end of the line, it's completely different than what the statement was at the beginning. Functional training is supposed to be uh I think, well, here, let me step, take a step back. Uh, after looking at this for as long as I've looked at it, I think it's people, the problem in this field is people don't understand what they're doing and the meaning of all the things they say and actually how the body works. So they're equating functional training with sport-specific training. And they're, they're not saying that, but I think that's what they mean because functional training used to be if you did some kind of an explosive maneuver movement that you could say it was functional and then it became applicable to sport. And now it's evolved, devolved into this craziness where it's almost something I call gym theatrics. And I'll give you a great example. I just saw a post today of this very fit young woman standing on one leg, uh, try, um, try to paint a visual picture, like when Michael Kay describes the uniform of the team. Uh, a visual picture of a woman standing on one leg with her other knee 
uh, up, up bent, her other leg bent, so it's at a 90 degree, and she's holding a kettlebell in front of her chin, and she's rotating her arms in front and around her head in both directions at a very slow speed. And this is portrayed as being functional training. So uh, my question is, what's the function of that? It is not appropriate for athletes that have to move quickly and be explosive and use the total body to control the movements. This is a very difficult, let's call it low-level skill that is interesting, but it has no function really. So as far as sport goes, and that's where I think, again, we have a disconnect between the language and the practice. Yeah. And what do have you changed your terminology in terms of how you refer to it because of this? I guess it's, it's really confusing. It is. And I try to not to use it. I don't use functional training. You know, I, I'll have someone mention it to me and I'll say, well, I really try to stay away from that because it's become bastardized to the point where it's now meaningless. So I try to, I try to use the word uh, term uh, purposeful training because then if you're if you're say you're a sport coach and know very little about what should be done in the weight room, my my advice to you is it should look something like the sport you coach. So when you have these very slow movements that don't resemble any kind of sport activity, that that tells you that there's no purpose for it to your for your sport at least. And it might be cool, and there might be some very difficult elements to this movement, but it's not necessarily going to help your athlete. And Dave, I always have another phrase, is it hard and or are you tired or are you actually getting better from doing something? So I think if you look at it as purposeful training, if you're a lacrosse player, a baseball player, a football player, and someone's having you stand on one leg with the other knee bent and slowly rotating a kettlebell around your head, you could safely say there's no purpose to that in my sport. And and to take you one step further, in any program design, exercise design that you're going to try to use in a program, you're looking at specificity and gravity. Those are the two, two areas or the two specific things you need. Uh, how does gravity affect the body? In other words, if I'm on two feet when I play, I need to be on two feet when I train. Uh, and if it's specific to my sport, it's going to have, or my movement patterns, it's going to have more transfer to my sport. I like that. That's, and that's what functional training used to mean, I would guess. Yeah. And, and, I, yeah, and I think, again, it's a lack of, here's another, another great term you'll see on these posts is activation. We're going to get you to activate your glutes, your hip flexors, your abs. Uh, if you did not activate those muscles, you'd be in a pile on the floor, right? Those muscles are active at all times, unless you're a spinal cord injury patient and don't have control over your muscles and can't control certain parts of your body. There, nothing is activated. You'd be correct. If you're talking about an athlete who can run, jump, swing, throw, dunk, shoot a basketball, pick up a ground ball, believe me, all their muscles are activated. What, what they mean is something else. I did a little post about this on my Instagram. Coach Sal's Playmakers is my Instagram. Little plug there. Um, they mean something else. Uh, they don't mean activation, but because they don't understand the mechanisms, they they use that term. I hate to put you in their brain, but what do you think they mean, or what do, what do you think they're trying to get across? Well, there's a there's a sequence that's used in any 
in any running or any jumping or any, you know, any activity, when you throw, there's a proper sequence. So they probably mean that they mean timing, they mean coordination. So now we're going to go back to one of my other pet peeves. When you see these single station, single muscle group exercises, I should say single muscle group exercises that are usually done in equipment or sitting down, then you're going to try and go out and produce movement with your entire body when you've trained it in these pieces. So what happens is your timing gets screwed up and that's where, you know, you're, there's a, there's a problem in the chain. It's not that you're not activating the muscle properly. It's not that it's that your coordination is off your, um, your sequence is off. And the only way you could really fix those things are to do these high level movements by doing that movement I just described on one leg with the kettlebell around your head slowly, if anything, that's going to screw up anything that you do at a higher speed. So that's where we are with this lack of understanding about how the body actually works, how you need to train it, and then the language you need to use to get these concepts across. We're seeing that a lot in the skill, with the skill training as well. You use the phrase and now functional training probably means now more gym theatrics than anything else. Uh, you and I were talking before the show about these kids misusing the phrase pull downs. Uh, we saw, uh, we talked about the, uh, I think it was a pitching group. They were getting a running head start, nine other guys jumping around, hyping them up, camera on, uh, radar gun ready. And they're getting, God, probably a, a sprint of like seven, eight, nine steps and then throwing it as hard as they can into a, kind of a flexible wall to get a, a score, a single number. And they're calling that pull downs and it's, it's everywhere. I mean, it's, I, I talked to two, two boys in New Zealand that used the phrase to me the other day and pull downs is as we talked and we, we hear it on our other podcasts on the, on the network. So it's a long toss variation when you're moving in from your far distance to the closer ones where you're starting to throw it more on a line. So it's, it's uh, your point is well taken in that what's happening in the gym is also happening on the field of play. And then these training sessions too. But, um, well, let me, let me I want to go give an example of, yeah. of how, how training is done in these. Uh, when I say a single joint or a single muscle group movement, it's like when you see anybody that trains any kind of athlete and they're having athletes perform Nordic ham, Nordic hamstring curls are the big rage in some quarters, a Nordic hamstring pull, Dave, picture uh, you kneeling on both knees and you have a partner behind you holding your uh, ankles at like your Achille low calf level. And you have your hands across your shoulder and you're lowering yourself to the ground. And then you're supposed to pull yourself up. It's an incredibly difficult exercise and it's being advertised as a injury prevention, a speed builder. And it violates every uh, rule or almost law that you would use in designing what exercises work. And yet people prescribe it for both, I hate the term, but they for prehab and for rehab. All right, so here's what we have to then respond to these people. Well, we already have athletes using this move, then why are our athletes still getting hurt? Well, because it's, that exercise is not really appropriate because it's single it's a single muscle group exercise certainly you're stabilizing but your hamstrings are facing a load that they never see when you're moving so 
training these people and these athletes in the single muscle group bodybuilding style, RDLs, Romanian deadlift, single leg deadlift, and then expecting that they're going to perform is as ludicrous as saying, here is a list of the 15 ingredients I use to make chili, and I'm going to eat them one at a time until I finish the last ingredient and then tell you that that's the same thing as eating chili. I like that. Uh, that is really the analogy I use when people talk about these training modalities and compare it to how you should train versus how they are training and, and why they're having problems in the sport. And I love that. I love that example that uh, made, you made me laugh out loud. I hope I, I close it off the podcast, but that's uh that's perfect. I think that puts it home for everybody. Now I know a couple of the kids that you work out, a couple of baseball. I know you worked out the, the Schmidt siblings in basketball, and then you have lacrosse is obviously you have some high level lacrosse players. What's an example in, in, in one of those of uh, purposeful training? So something that you do with them. So that- you're never, you're never going to replicate in the gym, the movements that you um, you're going to see on the field. What we're, what I try to do, my, my, uh, thought process and what I encourage coaches to do is you have to be, and, and David, take, this is where we spoke about on one of the shows, there's an art to this versus the science. You have to understand um, the qualities, the physical qualities that are necessary to perform a sport. And, you know, you, you could ask my mother, you could ask a scout and you're going to, and anyone who has watched sports, my mom watches a lot of sports. You have to have people who could Run fast, accelerate, jump high, change direction uh, with control. And one of the best abilities is availability, not get hurt. So that gives you your your roadmap to how to develop and build these programs. So I'm and if and again, go to my Instagram and you're going to see my my athletes and my fitness clients alike performing moves that have a that require a high amount of coordination, um, uh, an explosive component a balance component, a single arm, single leg component, and your hips working in opposition. In other words, one foot goes forward, the other foot goes back. You're not working in a squared stance, which is most of the training you see in the gym with squats and deadlifts and standing military press, and even the biggest waste of time of all exercises, the bench press. You're in a squared, balanced, even stance. There's not one sport, especially um, open skill sports like baseball, football, tr- uh, basketball, track, lacrosse, field hockey, soccer, where you're you're in a squared stance for anything you do. I got and kind of follow up on that. You mentioned about the the way that they they work out in the weight room, and this may segue us to our our next topic. But I've always been fascinated by the knees because as I grew up, um, you know, we grew up pretty close to the same era it was always knees in one direction. It was always that, um, you know, just bending how they normally bend. And I learned from a hockey player about moving your knee off the plane. And I may be using the wrong phrase terminology, but how, how does that type of training maybe lead to some of the major knee injuries we're seeing now? Well, I think what you're getting at is we, we, you know, we've been told certain things. First of all, unless you're, unless you're a high level athlete who's engaged in, a collision sport, um, you know, a knee issue. When I get these young athletes with a knee issue, it's usually a symptom of something else. So, just like if you have a runny nose, the runny nose is a symptom. 
achy knees are usually a symptom of a bigger problem that's above or below in the chain, right? Ankle, foot, hip, it could be both. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, that's what we're talking about a lot of the times in um, these knee issues. But the, the whole thing with the knee, Dave, is it, the problem becomes when you load it. And by loaded, I mean lifting weight. So you'll always hear your knee should never go over your toe. Well, if anybody's ever watched any sport, the knee is over the toe most of the time, especially in sports where you're accelerating, changing direction, bending over to pick something up, whether it be a baseball, basketball, ground ball on lacrosse. Uh, field hockey players play bent over, their knees over their toe constantly. So it's the disconnect between we're loading and putting people in positions where their knees don't go over their toes to protect them. And at the same time, we're asking them to go out on a field unloaded to move fast where their knee is always over their toe. So yeah. it, it might not be the opposite end of the spectrum, but it's pretty darn close to the opposite ends of the spectrum. That, that cannon right there was the first time I began to question that and start looking into other ways to train my knees. I was fortunate, never had knee problems, but I also attribute it to maybe understanding early that when I'm moving out there at no point in time, am I bending the way they're teaching me how to, to squat. I'm, I'm, I am going over my toes with my knee. My knees are going side to side in awkward positions a lot of times, especially as a second baseman. And I was a college point guard too. So, um, no, I, I like that. Can we go to the, I was going to go to the article now that you and I talked about. Sure. Um, and I, I didn't get a chance to read all of it. Um, you, you talked to me a little bit about the weight room facilities, um, just maybe explain it, do a better job than I'd explain it to our audience what the article is about and the problems you see with it. So you have to be careful in any of these articles you read and there's a furor or an uproar about it because as we've learned from Twitter, a lot of these uh, highly circulated, quote, popular issues and articles that get uh, sent around are really phony and they're art uh, artificially inflated by bots and fake accounts. So, you know, the, there's tempests in a teapot sometimes that Twitter creates. You have to take everything with a grain of salt. But there does seem to be, based on the participants in the discussion or argument, if you want to say that, is that women have a higher level of injury, especially with ACLs, because they don't have equal access to uh, strength facilities. And I just think that's, that's a ludicrous assumption. And I think it, there's a certain amount of laziness that is involved with taking that position. Because if you look at overall, men's injury rates are going up uh, in all sports at all levels. So to take in isolation the fact that women's rates are higher uh, and are also going up and ignoring the fact that men's, while they might not be as high, but are still going up, and then your assumption is because they have better facilities I think is a, a ridiculous argument. And I think, you know what, it hurts the women and the, and the girls in the long run, because you're going to look at a cause that really doesn't bear much um, uh, 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 looking at, because the real problem is based on um, structure and men are built differently than women. They play sports differently. They move differently. And that's responsible for these injuries. And we need to have bright people looking at that rather than have aggrieved parties base it on uh, access to weight training facilities. Because I'll tell you what, men get crappy uh, training in these facilities. Anyone who's listened to any of these shows knows that that's my position. If you're going to put women in these weight rooms and have them do 
something close to or you know similar enough to what the men are doing, you're really going to have an injury problem. And meanwhile, we'll have left, let time go by without trying to figure out the real reason that they have these knee injuries. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you there. I think the, the article probably skips a number of causalities with the women. And, you know, we, we talk a little bit about UConn women's basketball, probably the most highly funded women's sport in the country um, with the great success. I mean, they, they deserve everything that they get, but they've had a, a myriad of knee injuries the last couple of years. And I dare say it's not because of the weight facilities that they have. No, it's not because of access to the weight room. Again, that's a lazy argument and it's based on, you know, like I said, that there's always got to be an aggrieved party, you know, and the other thing that is interesting, and I'll, I forget, I'm going to give you the outline of the story, but they did research into um, ACL injuries in soccer. And there was a 50-50 split between, and this would be men and women soccer, boys and girls soccer, 50-50 split between the injury to the kicking leg and the injury to the plant leg, all right? So you look at that number and you're like, okay, so there's a problem in soccer. It seems to be the same over looking at all the men and women together. It's 50-50 plant leg, kicking leg. Well, guess what, Dave? When they looked at the data, women only and men only, and I might have it backward, but this is the essence. Three quarters of the women suffered ACL injury to their plant leg whereas three-quarters of the men suffered three-quarters of their injuries to the kicking leg. So when you look at that group of soccer players overall, and you're like, oh, it's 50-50, but then you break it down by gender, you see it's three-quarters for one group and three, another three-quarters on the other side for the other group. So that's a great example of what I said about rather than looking at this nonsense about access to the weight room, why don't we have the bright minds look at that study and those results and figure out why we have that drastic of a difference between one side and the other. Now, as, before people were afraid of saying the obvious, that men and women are built differently, run differently, play differently, sorry I said that, um, that would be a, a no-brainer. Now we have to tiptoe around that, but I don't think there's any better example of that than that the results of that study. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Do you have any inferences as to why one leg may be more injured than the other based on the gender? Uh, yeah, I think the, you know, the common you know, prevailing wisdom is that the w men and women are built differently and there's structural differences that result in the plant leg being more vulnerable in one population versus the other. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you, They didn't do a controlled study, but there's a pretty good, darn good study to look at and, and, and again, brighter people than I could dig into that, biomechanics experts, and, and look at the, all the reasons. And, and, you know, we know turf is a big culprit in these injuries. And, and the NFL players have now really taken off the shackles and are coming out in, in favor to get rid of artificial turf. Because when you look at the data, it's hard to ignore that artificial turf has to be considered one of the main factors in these ACL injuries. Yeah, that's that's a whole nother show. I think we could hit on maybe even more. Um, I'd like to do that at some point in time as well. That, that's interesting. I, I had not heard of that study before, and I'm going to look it up myself because that's such and, a big discrepancy. 
And, and you know, you go, it, go, it t- ties back into training, right? What I said about we do so much, or not we, these train, these coaches, strength coaches do have athletes so many times in this squared stance. And when I say a squared stance, think of your, your squat stance or your deadlift stance. And yet we don't compete that way. We produce movement one leg at a time. You know, uh, there's very little appropriate single leg training that's going on in any of these high level programs, both what you see online and what I've seen from athletes who give me their packets of their training, 99%, 95% of what they're doing is squared stance, double leg, heavy squatting, deadlifting, squared stance work. And there's very little single leg stance work. And that's how we move. We move on one foot. We move on one leg. We don't move on two legs at a time, most yeah. of the time. And then uh, kind of close us out with this, with this question. Uh, is the reason to go on single leg, is it because, I mean, naturally we're stronger right side or left side. We'll, we tend to favor the stronger leg when we're doing the double leg workouts. That, and that's just, we move one leg at a time. So you want to tease out any natural imbalance is going to get worse if you're doing a double leg uh, stance. So yeah, so say, let's just take a number to make it, an, say the perfect squatter is 50-50 in their balance when they squat. Yet, when you look at somebody that might not be great, say it's 55 to 45 or 60-40. Well, the longer you go in that double leg stance, it's going to shift more to the stronger side because that's just how the body adapts. So without that single leg component where, A, you can identify the difference from side to side, and B take away all the body's ways to compensate for that uh, imbalance, you have a training modality that is also preventative. What else did we say was both training and preventative? It was sprinting, right? By sprinting, you are using the cure to make sure you don't get sick, right? That's the same thing with the single leg. It's it's showing us where the weaknesses and imbalances are, but it's also training us out of them because there's no other way that your body is going to be able to perform that single leg squat or other single leg movement unless your body is moving correctly. And it's basically self-correcting. The body will self-correct if you put it into the right situation. I like that phrase and and the irony of it. It's not funny, I guess. It's just straight irony that a lot of the ways it sounds like they're using this functional training is to protect us um, but it's actually making us more vulnerable when we get to the heat of competition. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the concept of anti-fragile, which we talked about, which is in a nutshell, you're building all these complex systems to quote protect people and things, and at the end of the day, that system is more uh, susceptible to any disruption, which makes you actually less fragile. It makes you, I'm sorry, it makes you more fragile instead of being robust or even resilient. We're not even we're not even getting to the point where people are resilient, Dave. We're at the point where they're they become fragile. And you know, we've had this discussion ad nauseum about baseball with pitchers. Pitchers are now so fragile, God forbid they throw five more pitches than prescribed, right? Yeah. That's no, uh that's the global pandemic that we've got to worry about. So um I know you've got the you've got the conference that you you've already taped your talk on, but remind our audience about that. And also remind them where they can find you on Instagram and social media. And I remind the audience that Sal's a phenomenal speaker, a phenomenal performance coach. Please reach out to him if you need anything. Um, and you, you'll only get positives if you get to have a chance to have a conversation with him 
whether email in person or you get a chance to train with them. Well, thanks, Dave. But thanks to uh, the show, I, uh, great baseball guy, Troy Rawlings, uh, reached out and I'm participating in his Holistic Baseball Training Summit, which has been going on all month, the whole month of November. And you get free access to it. You go to holisticbaseball.com and you can see a litany of really high level speakers that are involved with not just baseball, but on the field, mental training, nutritional training. You know, I'm fortunate to be included in the roster of quote experts and speakers they've had. You know, my, my talk is a little different because I've had so much experience on all sides of the equation from being a coach that was helping athletes get recruited for college, being a college coach that was recruiting high school athletes for college, having three boys going through the process. Um, and, you know, as a dad and a coach, so I'm kind of touching a lot of different bases in that talk. Uh, also, if you're interested, like I said, I have a Instagram account. It's Coach Sal's Playmakers. That's on Instagram. And I give you a small doses of my philosophy and you'll see some videos that put into action the things I talk about. And on Twitter, I'm at Sal Marinello. And I have a Substack, Coach Sal M at Substack. And it's all great stuff. I know I, we, I, I look through all that stuff even if we weren't doing podcasts together and my children all look at it too now as part of their homeschool athletic curriculum. So you're making a difference, at least in this house. And I know you've got a great following right now with the show. So we appreciate you, Sal, so much. Thanks, Dave. I love doing it and I look forward to the next one. Okay. Well, this is Coaching Kern in episode 90, The Hot Corner with Coach Sal, rendition number 11. A lot of stuff here. I hope you guys had a, a notepad uh, written or to write on functional training to purposeful training. Love the chili example. Uh, a little little piece on women with the, the knee injuries. And of course, we end with the anti-fragile. I think we always do. And then, uh, you know, the holistic baseball training. I think that's something that you guys should all take advantage of. Thanks, Sal. Thanks, Dave. Have a good weekend. You too. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning, and Garen was beginning.